Hello, my unshakable tribe. My name is Dr. LaCroix Meadows, and I am your host. I created this podcast to serve as a unique space for you, I, financial professionals, and entrepreneurs to connect, to discuss, and to discover ways that we can build a foundation to wealth unshakable. I cannot wait for you to dive inside. I'll see you in there. Hello, welcome everyone. I'm super excited to have you here. Welcome to day two of Welcome Week. I am so excited to share with you a new acquaintance and friend of mine, Miss Marquita Miller Joshua. I was so excited. I had a chance to um, look through our Stocks and Source Facebook group. And as I was accepting individuals into the group, I saw Marquita's profile and I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. She has the exact expertise that I knew that would help us along our way as we navigate through Welcome Week this week. She is a tax professional and has been doing her thing for quite some time. So I'm going to take a moment and just spend a little bit of time reading through her bio. It is quite phenomenal. So let me let me get started. Marquita Miller Joshua is a bona fide faithpreneur, a person following the path to entrepreneurship by first following the path to God. In two, two, 2009, Marquita took a leap of faith. She transitioned from Fortune 500 companies and five-star tax and business solutions was born. Since its inception, Marquita has served as president and she focuses on small to medium-sized businesses. As she operates in her passion to promote entrepreneurship, Marquita's results have been stellar. She's received national recognition, multiple media opportunities, and undeniable impact. She is currently headquartered in Kansas City, Missouri. Her business has been recognized for achieving great heights. It was nominated for Small Business of the Year, which is phenomenal. Um, The full-service accounting and consulting firm is WBE and MBE certified. She's licensed as an enrolled agent and licensed as an accredited tax preparer. So Five Star offers a diverse menu of client solutions with services that includes tax preparation, accounting, payroll startup, and, and revenue generation. She's also a compelling speaker. I actually had someone reach out to me after they saw her photo on our website and they were like, oh my goodness, she is a firehouse. So I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm super excited about this. She is sought after to engage with high profile audiences at prominent ministries, universities, conferences, workshops, as well as corporations. In 2018, the International Association of Women recognized her as an inspirational influencer. She captivates viewers as she regularly hosts TV segments on CBS, Fox Morning Shows, while serving as a contributing writer for Black Enterprise Magazine. She she is constantly pushing the envelope. Marquita has offered four books, not one y'all, four books, and co-authored an Amazon bestseller. She uplifts attendees at her annual No More Excuses Only Results Conference, oh, I gotta go, go to that, empowering them with tools to break barriers eliminate excuses, and own their goals. She motivates others to intentionally commit to a journey of personal and professional success. She's a proud Kansas City native and also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She was former president of the National Speakers Association, the Kansas City chapter, and presently serves in leadership for the national chapter. 
She's a pillar for our community. She serves on a number of different boards and is just killing the game in our respects. Yearning to excel at the highest levels, Marquita earned an MBA from Kelly Graduate School of Management, a bachelor's degree in accounting and management from Park University. And although she became a widow after 12 years of marriage, Marquita found new love and joyfully remarried. She currently resides in Kansas City. Without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Ms. Marquita Miller Joshua. Hello, how are Hi. you today? <laughs> how are you? I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much I'm for joining us. I'm excited to be here. It's almost the tax deadline, but we got yes. to talk taxes still. Yes, absolutely. Taxes scare me. So I'm just like overwhelmed. So excited <laughs> that you are here to help us. <laughs> so thanks so much for being here. Thank awesome. you for having me. Awesome. All right. So I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask um, to help our ladies in the Stocks and Swords community, as well as those who are friends of our members as well. So can we just start out with the basics? What's the deadline this year? I know we've been fluctuating back and forth. So <laughs> what's right. the that is the million dollar question, right? Because we've had so many different dates over the last couple of years with the pandemic. But for majority of the taxpayers, individual taxpayers, let me be very clear, April the 18th, unless you're in Maine or Massachusetts, then it's April the 19th. So you want to um, set it for April 18th. But if you're one of those people who kind of tend to procrastinate, maybe make the 15th your date. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. But April the 18th is the deadline. Awesome. Awesome. And why are those two other states different? There's holidays that are national holidays that are recognized in those areas that are not recognized everywhere. Patriots holiday. Oh. So that is the difference uh, from that standpoint. So, yes. Okay. Um, and we did not get an extension this year from um, the Internal Revenue Service by moving the date. That's happened in the past. Um, but we're full speed ahead. If you're an individual taxpayer, um, April the 18th is probably for the majority of people going to be your tax deadline. Now, if you're a business owner and you were a partnership or an S corporation, then your deadline was March 15th. Uh -oh. We can talk uh -oh. afterwards and help you with that if anybody if they find that <laughs> find themselves in that situation. So there's some tricky things with deadlines. It does matter about what type of return that you're filing, um, if it's individual or business. So great question. Excellent, excellent. All right, so we got to get it together. Make sure we get that in before the deadline yeah. is coming. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So we have a number of ladies in our community that have an interest in cryptocurrency. Tonight, Mr. Lev Taylor is actually going to be joining us to discuss cryptocurrency and NFTs as well. So I learned from you, actually, because I had no idea, but I learned from you that there is a question about cryptocurrency on the tax return now. So what's the connection? Like, how do we how do we like really leverage this and manage this process? Yeah, so the Internal Revenue is wanting to make it crystal clear that cryptocurrency can be, um, you can have taxable events that can create tax liability. Now, for those people who are in the crypto world, um, and if you're familiar with the term wallet, now I know if you're not now, come back to the night session because you're going to get well-versed in it. But if you're exchanging cryptocurrency, you can do that from wallet to wallet. That's not taxable. But if you actually uh, convert your cryptocurrency back to U.S. dollars, then that can be a taxable exchange. And so depending upon your crypto uh, platform, 
that you use. Some taxpayers use Coinbase. They're really good at, I'm not promoting anyone. They, they're really good about uh, producing the necessary reports so that they can, you can help, they help you to figure out what is taxable. Um, but the moment you convert that cryptocurrency from wallet to wallet, no taxation there. But the moment you convert it back to your U.S. account or bank account from the wallet back into to currency for your, your um, from that standpoint, then that can be a taxable exchange in the year that you do that. Not at the moment, but at the year. So it's really important to keep up with your crypto records and to understand the features of the platform that you're using, because some platforms do not uh, provide the taxation gain and losses. So I know we'll talk a little bit. I saw some in some of the uh, Facebook chats where people were asking about gains and stocks. So I know we'll talk about that. But it is really important that you want to understand um, that's good, April. You kept it in your wallet. So keeping it in your wallet means it's not taxable from that standpoint. And so I see some comments there. Um, but you but you want to make sure that you have reports or a platform that's going to give you the necessary reports that shows the date you purchased, your cost amount, and if you do exchange it and take it out of your wallet, or I'm glad April posted that because it made me have another thought, or let's say you decide to you do so well and you go out and buy your Tesla, then that's also taxable because although it didn't hit your account, you used it to make a purchase. And there are lots of business vendors that take crypto. And so that's a taxable event. So you have to have records to be able to um, track that. And the IRS put that question there because they are after, they've got departments that are starting to focus completely on the whole virtual world, crypto, the mining, um, all of that, because that's a real world that has a lot of profitability. So therefore they're like, you're going to tell us if you're involved in cryptocurrency. And so you do have to answer that question um, on the tax return. That is really good. It's really, really good. So for those who are brand new to crypto and like, like what you talking about? What's a wallet? Tell us what that means. Because I, I can kind of translate it back to the stock world as far as like brokerage accounts and things like that. But, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. Yeah, so in the crypto world, um, it would be almost kind of like your bank account, if you will. Let's just say your bank account. Um, and it's a place to store the file. You can have various wallets. And so because crypto is virtual, um, some people do believe in having virtual various wallets so that they can move their funds at any time if something happens with being hacked or if there's some, some issues with um, access to it. They want to have various wallets uh, from that standpoint. But it's where you keep your it's where you keep your currency at, um, but it's not a your it's not your bank account. It's not your the where you bank at from that standpoint. So that it's it's a, it's a, it's supposed to be safekeeping. But you know, anytime you're in the virtual world, you won't always want to. Um, in the accounting world, we always say you have to inspect what you expect. So you always want to make sure that um, things are secure and you're aware because um, there are a lot of people who've made some great profitability in that world, but you have to be able to watch it very close. You want to um, begin to study. One of the things that I did last year, because this was such a hot button item, is went to get crypto tax professional certified in Arizona with an entity because there's so many things that are coming down the pipe and there's so many facets that as an individual, if you want to get involved in, you can get involved and become very profitable. They're paying people to do mining. They're paying people to host virtual houses literally a virtual house and someone sells the virtual house because it has so much transaction and attraction of uh, uh, attraction that's coming through there virtually people are making thousands 
thousands of dollars, but also people have lost money. So if you want to get, so tonight's session, I expect that to be dynamic because um, you want to understand about it and, and be aware. So you can make an informed decision what's best for you. Because anytime we're talking stocks, investments, you've got to decide what you can stomach and what you can deal with and where you have a comfort level at. Um, and everything's not for everybody, but there are some great things that are happening. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So just a one quick follow up to that. One of the things that our initial speaker, Miss April Lewis, shared with us yesterday, she asked the question, do you study money? Right. And so what you're articulating here is some really good resources and, and thoughts about, you know, these are opportunities for us to make money. How will one get I know we're going to have life here, but just from your yeah. expertise, how will one get started with studying this? You know, what I would tell you to do is to, um, and what I did is I talk to people around you. You'd be shocked in your social network because I'm a big advocator that advocate that people are one of your greatest resources. You'd be shocked mm -hmm. if you just put a simple post out or text a friend to say, who's involved in crypto? And start there. And then they'll be able to say, you know, this is the platform that I'll use. Then go investigate and read on that platform. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I did recently did a segment about um, we can get educated on small sips and, you know, small sips are, you know, easy. Way. You, know, you can go to the long sips where you go to school, but small sips are those things that you can do in a small little segment. And so what I mean by that, YouTube, there's so many um, podcasts and information webinars where you can listen. And it doesn't take you very long to figure out who the influencers are in that in that industry and who's doing what. And they're following, but you do want to study up on it. You want to read up on it, of course, because being in the industry that I'm in, I started with the Internal Revenue Service Code because I wanted to see what does this. As April said the IRS is always in the, involved in it. I wanted to see what was their position, what are the loopholes, those kind of things. And then it took me on the path of reaching out to my network to say who's involved. And you'd be shocked. I mean, when I went to that conference, it was amazing. I didn't really have an anticipation of who would be at this event, but it was it was your neighborhood next door person, millionaire next door person that you would have never thought would have been involved in it. And they had made millions of dollars and they just looked like there was a gentleman there. And he said, I work at Home Depot for my income, um, but I'm involved in the heavily. And then there were people who were, you know, techie heads from that standpoint. So there's no way to really kind of figure out who's playing involved in it. And in certain areas of the country, it's not caught on. And so sometimes there's some shame or some or um, some skepticism about it. So therefore, some people don't they don't reveal. But I would say, you know, reach out to your network. Find out about conferences and events. There are some great virtual events that are put on about it and investigate it. Go, you know, exposure is one of the best things we can do to get exposed to something you're not familiar with, because we can be very quick to say, ah, I don't do that because it sounds weird. Then you're like, oh, I wish I did that. And then you want to do it after everyone's doing it. And it's too late because now the, the it's shifted. And that's with crypto. Now the SEC is getting involved um, because the security exchange, because now banks are going to start offering it. So it's got to be something to it if banks are finally going to come around and start offering it. Right. So um, I say, you know, definitely reach out. You'd be shocked. I guarantee you there's someone at everyone's network that is exchanging, uh, talking about it. Uh, one of my nail techs, I just happened to mention, and my nail tech was like, let me show you my wallet. Let me show you what's, what type of crypto, because there's various types of crypto. What type of crypto is in my wallet? And that allowed me to say, well, let me research. And then I saw, I was like, whoa, one of the things in your wallet is $40,000. Uh, um, <laughs> so um, yeah, it was very interesting. So I'd encourage you 
um, to take that uh, leap and investigate and get study up and just see if it's not for you, guess what? At least you know something you did not know before. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And April, thank you for the comment. Crypto Fiend is a trusted and vetted resource on YouTube. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, awesome. awesome. Okay. So my next question is for our Stocks and Sewers mamas out there. So there are some questions and things that are going around regarding the um, amount of the advanced child tax credit and the stimulus payment three. So can you talk about what that is and then are those taxable? Yes. So during um, one of the great things, the IRS sent out letters to taxpayers in January and then another batch of letters went out in March. To recap for you, if you received the advanced child tax credit, they gave you a letter that said how much they showed you received and based on you know, how many children it was for. And then they also sent another letter out that stated how much you received as your stimulus three payment. And so that's, you know, we were talking about questions on the tax return. Those are two additional questions that you have to be able to answer. Did you receive the advanced child tax credit? Because if you say you didn't, then your tax professional is going to calculate the taxes that way and apply for you to get what you did not, you did not receive. And so it's some people like, yes, I want extra. If you got it, and you, and you say that you didn't get it, it's going to delay your tax return because the internal revenue has a mechanism for tracking it. But the bad thing will be is that your tax, instead of getting your tax return in 21 days, if you're doing a refund, now it could be up to six months because anything that takes the tax processing, um, uh, tax processing offline where a, a actual person in the IRS has to pull it and review it, that's going to delay it because they're short staff. They've got new, they made a bunch of new hires. They're getting up to speed. So you want to answer those questions truthfully. And I find that most people are being truthful, but they just don't remember that they got it. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have the letter, then check your bank account to see, did I receive the advanced child tax credit or did I receive stimulus three? And then if all else fails, you can go to the irs.gov website and you can put in it your information to research if you received it. So I would encourage you, you want to be accurate on that. You do not um, want to miss it because I've seen clients that have said, oh, I didn't get my stimulus three. And, and so therefore we calculated that they were due another $1,400. And they said, I got a notice that said my refund short $1,400. That's because you did get the $1,400. So you want to make sure that you are calculating. And so one of the other big questions we get is why do they want to know that? I thought it wasn't taxable. It's not taxable, but that's the only way they can reconcile to see did did people that were entitled to it get it? And if you didn't, you can still get you can still pick it up. So that's that's great. If you didn't lose it, because there were some taxpayers that thought, you know, I don't want to just take the advance during the year. They wanted to wait till tax season just in case if it was going to make them owe. They were a little bit skeptical about how it was going to, um, if it was going to become taxable or not. So they waited. So they're still able to get those funds. And if they did not take it on the front end, they can get it on their tax return. So it's important to give the information and to make sure you're accurate with it so it doesn't, it doesn't cause an unnecessary delay or calculation error. Excellent. Thank you so much for that information. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So now I want to ask a question for our stocks and sorespreneurs out there. We have a number of ladies who are in business. And so we also, as a result of the kind of pandemic and other things, 
um, were enabled to get, have an opportunity to get PPP loans as well as EDIL loans. So how do those things impact us this year as well? Okay, so that's, you got some great questions. Um, so here we go with the PPP payroll protection program. Um, that is not the income that you got under PPP for those business owners, because you would have been a business owner. You should have been a business owner to receive those funds. So we know there is a few things that kind of happened during that time, but you should have been a business owner. Um, that income is not taxable to you, um, but it's important for you to, on the tax return, there's disclosure that you um, that you do need to put that information of how much you received. Again, a reconciling item. Um, also, when it comes to the idle loan, loans are never taxable. So you don't want to include that. And so for those business owners, it's real critical that your accounting is on point. Because if you show your revenue was, you know, X amount, X amount of dollars and you included in that revenue, the loan, now you're going to pay taxes on money that you did not have to pay taxes on. So you want to really stop to look and if a lot of people, some people do their own accounting, some people outsource it. You want to make sure that the uh, revenue that you are showing, revenue is the top line, the money that comes in the door in the beginning. You want to make sure you have not included the idle loan or the PPP funds. Now, here's the great thing that happened with PPP as well. Originally, you weren't going to be able to claim the expenses. So let's just say you received $30,000 in PPP funds and you used it as payroll. You weren't going to be able to claim $30,000 of expenses for payroll. Well, they changed that. You get to claim all the expenses and you don't have to claim the income. So that's allowing for some business owners to show what we call a, um, a loss in the business. It looks like you spent more money than you made. And anytime you spend more money than you make in business, it is a loss. And that's a, but it can also be an indicator for IRS to say, well, how did you spend $40,000 extra? Where did the money come from? In this case, that's why they want to see the PPP funds or the idle loans, because they're like, oh, it makes sense. They got this funding. That's how they were able to go in the hole because losses on business tax returns can be a, a little bit of a flag. Um, even though we're in the pandemic and, you know, people have had some businesses have really outperformed and some have had not so great of a time trying to transition everything. Um, those businesses that have losses year after year after year, those go high up on the internal revenues audit list and review list. And so um, you cannot have a business that continues to have a loss, meaning your ex expenses exceed your revenue year after year. You have to have an intent for a profit. Now, sure, are there businesses that take a loss? They had to move during the pandemic. They had to spend more money to get up and going. There can be some justified reasons, but you want to watch that. But most importantly, going back to your question, you don't want to count those dollars, the PPP, the payroll protection fund, or the idle loan, those funds. You don't want to count those in your, in your revenue because you'll be paying taxes on dollars you don't have to. You don't want to overpay on taxes. That is the truth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that is the truth. And so that kind of leads me to a, a quick follow up as it relates to um, I know, and I may butcher this because tax is not my area, but there were um, allowables for people to withdraw from their retirement funds as well. And so, can you talk about how that is, how that impacts our taxes this year as well? Yes. So, for the 2021 tax return, it's not the same impact as it was on 2020. On 2020, if you withdrew from your retirement, um, if you had a couple of options, you could say that you were going to put the money back and then you would avoid paying the, um, now this is if you did an early distribution, meaning you're not 59 and a half, you took out retirement and 
You could put the funds back. 2020 tax return would allow you to put it back so you wouldn't pay taxes. Or if you took the distribution because you had a COVID impact. Now, this COVID impact was, was the key thing that was happening. What does that mean for some tax professionals? Because um, you want to find out your, your tax professional's um, understanding of the tax law. Um, for some, they were like, if you received, if you had COVID and were impacted because you could not work, that could be a COVID impact. Um, or if you had someone in your family, your care provider, and they had COVID, and you had to st stop working to take care of them and you needed those retirement funds, that could certainly be a COVID impact. So last year, 2020, you were able to take the retirement out and not pay taxes on those retirement dollars uh, from that standpoint, or even spread it out over a three-year period. So it's very important. But now for 2021, that's off the table. Now, the other thing that happened with the 2020 that some people are getting confused about this year, since you were talking about kind of some of the COVID relief, was unemployment. Unemployment last year, you could have received up to 10200 in 2020, not 2021, and not paid any taxes on there because it was an exemption where it, let's say you received just $5,000 of unemployment. None of that was taxable for you in 2020. 2021, it is taxable. And some people have gotten a little confused and they're not giving their unemployment forms to their tax professionals this year because they're like, oh, it's not taxable. No, always, if you get a rule of thumb, if you get a tax form, Submit the tax form to your tax professional, or if you're doing your own taxes, investigate, do you need to report it, and does the exemption come off? So some of those, those neat caveats that did happen for 2020, um, and for some, you'd be shocked. There are some that have not filed their 2020 tax returns yet. Um, they want to, you know, I get clients, we're we always say we're judgment-free here because we want to just help you move forward. But there are clients that haven't filed 19 yet, haven't filed 2020, and certainly haven't filed 2021. So you want to make sure that every year is not equal. There are some differences in that 2020 year versus 19 or even um, 2021. And even in how you calculate um, if you're a low income wage earner and you had earned income credit, there were some benefits that you could use your previous year's income to get a higher earned income credit. So, I mean, it really comes down to you really want to make sure with taxes um, that you are understanding and you're not assuming and you're asking questions and um, your provider or professional is up to speed on the nuances and the laws because it's so much that's happening. Um, you have to you have to stay constantly involved in in what's happening to stay up to to stay up to speed. Excellent. So you're not the first person that I've heard that say that there are a lot of folks who have not filed their taxes from 2019, 2020, and so forth. I actually took a class um, two weeks ago because I'm trying to understand everything I can about money this year. So I took a tax oh, class yeah. and mm -hmm. um, she mentioned the same thing. So what happens when people don't file? Like, what is that? What's the impact? So here's the, there's a couple of impacts that can happen. One, um, I had a client that had not filed for five years and they were due a refund. Well, here's the bad thing. So they thought they were kind of scared. They thought they were going to owe. And so they their their fear factor was to delay. Everyone kind of has a way you deal with fear. So their mm -hmm. fear factor was delaying. And they were like, okay, I'm finally going to do it. Every year they were due a refund. But the IRS is only, um, the statute of limitation, they're only required to give you the refund for the last three years. So this April, yes, this April 18th, refunds are due for 2021, 2020, um, and 2019. So if you were due a 19 tax refund or you haven't filed your 19 return, 
you want to kick procrastination in the rear and get that return file. Because what if you do a refund after April 18th, you can't apply for the refund. And so it's real important. Now, on the flip side, there are times that people delay because they know they're going to owe and they just hope that the news can be delayed and it will change the scenario. And it doesn't change the scenario, right? It only just creates additional interest and sometimes penalties because people often think that they can just file for an extension, but you're not even qualified for extension if you haven't filed your previous taxes. To qualify for extension, you've got to be current on taxes. That's one of the things. So you can go through the exercise and it feels good and you think you're doing something, but the extension is not going to be honored by the IRS because you're missing a tax return. So, and if you really do, let's say, for example, if someone they owe and they're just not for sure how they're going to pay, I always say file the return and then you can get on a payment arrangement because just by filing the return, you stop some of the penalties for failure to file. And so as an, you talked a little bit in my bio, as an enrolled agent, that's a lot of the things that I spend time doing um, on the out-tax side is helping people to remove penalties or apply to remove penalties or beg the IRS forgiveness because those penalties can get very steep and interest is added on. And so in the worst case scenario, and even if you're not in position to pay, at least file the taxes. So you don't, you, that, you stop one penalty right there by at least filing the taxes and then they will honor you with the payment arrangement. And if you, um, for some reason, do not, let's say you're not working and you're just not in a financial position to pay. There is a thing called um, currently not collectible. See, in our world, we refer to it as CNC, currently not collectible. If you're not working, then you, uh, a tax professional can apply or an enrolled agent, um, or you can even do it yourself if you have the time to really study it out. You can apply and, get, and the IRS will put you in that status because they'll say you don't have the income to pay. And therefore now it does not stop the interest. <laughs> it just stops the collections. You're not in a collection. You're, you're, the IRS has, um, you've done the necessary steps to show the IRS that, hey, yes, I owe this. I filed but I cannot afford to pay because of my financial situation. And once that changes, you're supposed to check in, you know, kind of update every three years. Once that changes, then you'll go back. Now it's going to be higher later, but at least you're compliant and you're not behind on taxes. Um, and there's a lot of great things that can happen. You know, if for some reason you are currently not collectible um, down the road. You know, remember I talked about statute of limitation for getting a refund. There's also a statute of limitation for 10 years on the IRS collecting debt that you owe them. So if you have someone, I just talked with uh, someone who was helping an elderly lady, she her she owed from 2004 and she got a refund and they took it this year. Well, that shouldn't have happened because 10 year statute, 10 year statute of limitation was up in 2014 for her. Now I got to investigate. Did she file on time? Because if she didn't file on time, the 10 year starts from when she filed. So I'm early on her case, but that just came up yesterday. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. You're All right. So my final questions, I have one regarding capital gains tax, but I want to make sure the ladies, if you have questions, please begin to put them in the chat and we'll make sure that Marquita has a chance to answer those. My final question for you is something that I get a lot from my students. So every Sunday, I teach a course, the Stock Market 101 course for the Stocks and Soros community. But I also have other classes that I teach more advanced students. A common question that I get is about capital gains taxes. And so can you talk a little bit about how they're reported on our investments, not just from the stock standpoint, but as our ladies are thinking about other types of investments as well, how, how does that work? 
Okay, so he, this is a great question. And a lot of times people um, um, will often think that, let's say, for example, you had um, Apple stock and you sell the Apple stock. Let's say that you your stock, you know, you receive $5,000 from the sale. Many times people think the $5,000 is taxable. No, the $5,000 would only be completely taxable if someone gifted you the stock and you didn't pay for it. But that's not most people's situations. Most people, they took the time to actually purchase the stock. So, and let's say that it's appreciated to $5,000 now, but let's say it costs you $2,500 to purchase. What's taxable to you is the $2,500, the difference. So that's so important. But here's the thing that I find. Um, people often are good at having their stock basis transactions when it's short term. And what I mean by short, so there's short term transactions and long term. Short terms are trans uh, when you sell a stock or an investment in less than 20, 12 months, less than 12 months. That's short term. If it's over, if you held it, let's say you've had it for three years, then that's a long term. So think about it. If you had to go back to find a receipt from three years ago, could you successfully do it? So that's why it's important to make sure you have a um, investment platform, a platform or if you're trading, you know, a lot of people have um, stock brokers or they use their um, E-Trade or Charles Schwab or just various ones from that standpoint. And they'll give them reports so that it will show it'll help to calculate that it'll tell you when did you purchase the stock, the date you purchased it, the date you sold it. So it helps you to determine if it's long term or short term. And the difference between what you your proceeds versus your cost, because you never want to just pay taxes on the total amount because you want to deduct. You paid something for it. It's not 100 percent gain from that standpoint. So and then whatever the results of that is, that could be um, when you talk about capital gains, um, if there's truly a gain, then you will have taxes on there. But if there's a loss, then you have deduction. Because I have seen people, let's, let's say the example of five thousand, they're like, "Oh, I got a five thousand dollar check." Well, the stock cost them ten thousand dollars, and so when it was sold, they took a loss of five thousand. Now losses are limited to three thousand dollars a year, but you get to carry it for, so you don't lose it. So it's a great, it could be a great tax strategy. I saw someone make reference to tax books um, and things, and we'll talk. I'll hit that, um, but that can be a ta great tax strategy when sometimes when business owners are having a, a great performance year, their revenue is really good. If they'll look at their stocks to see, is there any stocks that are loss leaders, meaning that are losing? Because it's a great time to offload those stocks that are losing money to offset the money that you made in the business. So tax planning is so very, very critical. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. And so when do business owners, when should they just go ahead and cut their losses? They need to do that before the end of the year or what? when should that happen? Yes, they would have to do it for it to count on the, let's say for the 2021 tax term, you would have had to execute that um, by December 31st, 2021. So um, here's the thing. I'm so glad you asked this. As business owners, you cannot be reactive with your taxes. You have to be proactive. In order to be proactive, you've got to be doing accounting. And in order to do accounting, you got to have a separate bank account. You can't just like cash app it and Venmo in it and you using money to go. You gotta have you gotta treat it like a business. It's your baby. You've put all your energy in it, your time, your commitment. You need to have a separate business checking account so that your the income from the business is going into that business account. The expenses are coming out of that business account so that you can take the business bank statements and create financial 
reports, your accounting reports, those accounting reports, when you look at those on a monthly or quarterly basis that during the year, that allows you to see, am I heading for a gain on my business? Do I have, am I going to have a profit? So therefore then you can say, okay, if I'm going to have a profit, what are things that I can do to help reduce my tax liability, legal things that I can do to reduce my tax liability. And that's when you would look and say, oh, I got stocks. I could reduce that or I could take advantage of some other deductions. But you cannot do you cannot begin a tax plan if you don't have the separate checking account. You're not you're commingling fees. When we talk about commingling money, that's when you're putting your business revenue in the account with your personal revenue. You're paying this personal expenses out of business accounts. It's all commingled. And with commingling, that um, can have a negative impact if you have a legal entity, that one. But two, it can have a definite impact if you're with taxes because you don't have a way to really plan. And so it's very important um, for you to be proactive with, with as a business owner and do an accounting either monthly or quarterly so that you can see where are you going? Where are you? Uh, are you in projecting a profit for the end of the year? And if you're projecting a profit, then when you get to September, for our firm from September to December, we are bombarded with tax plans. I mean, we're churning tax plans out. And these business owners, they're not waiting into January to know what their tax results are. They already pretty much have an idea of what's going to happen because we are driving the narrative we want to have happen. And that's so important. Strategies and planning are very critical um, as an entrepreneur, business owner, um, because you're going to, if you want to expand your business and you need to get a loan, you can't go to the bank with, with the negatives. You can't write off everything in your business. Like one of the books that um, I'm just going to recommend that I love, it's it's a book that's on Amazon. It's called by Eva Rosenberg, Deduct Everything. Well, that only works for you. That That book only works for you if you have a profit. If you're already in the hole, Forget about it. Don't read that book because you don't you you're, you don't have anything to deduct because you're already losing money. So that's why when you study strategy, you got to know your position and condition of your business. So because that's going to help you to know and focus your efforts on where you need to really point your um, attention. But you cannot. You got to inspect what you expect, and accounting mm -hmm. is key. Those financial statements, your profit and loss or income statement, those are the same terms. Your balance sheet to understand your assets and your liabilities. For some people, they love to pay down debt. Well, paying down debt is good in the financial world, but paying down debt for when it comes to taxes may not be a good tax strategy because the debt is gone. Now you don't have the interest that was from it. So you just have to weigh out, weigh out all your options. But in order to do that, you got to know what the numbers are to begin with. That is so good. That is, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like, can we talk after this meeting? <laughs> you know, and one of the things, because I know that it is probably people hear that and they're like, oh, my gosh, I haven't done it. I'm still using Cash App or whatever the case is. How do you get going? Because you want to you, you 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 when you know better, you do better. Right. You'd like to hope when you know better, you do better. Start where you're at. Give yourself a lot of grace, but start where you're at. Just even if you're in this month of April right now, today's the day and you're like, you know what? I have got to get a business checking account. Then get your business checking account today. Start it today so you're not having the same thought in this desire next year and begin where you're at. And you can always check. You can always catch up from that standpoint. And so it's important, um, you know, give yourself grace. But get started. Um, and even when it comes to, I hear a lot of people that'll say, what legal entity should I be? Should I be an S-Corp? Should I be an LLC that's taxable as an S-Corp or a C-Corp? 
really, until you're really going to be committed to accounting, anything you're doing, you're really just picking based upon thoughts because you don't have a way to really um, understand where your numbers are at. Those business structures are great legal structures to help protect you, but are they good for your tax situation? Well, the only way you know that is if you know what your profit is going to be and um, what you, your profit is currently and what you expect it to be, and you have to be doing accounting. So get started. Um, I saw someone in uh, April mention about QuickBooks Online. I'm not an advocate of QuickBooks Online. That's because just most true accountants don't like QuickBooks Online because it's just so, it allows you to do a lot of things that's not true accounting, but it's easier, user-friendly for people. It's better than nothing. Um, from that standpoint, in the day and age, we're done with the shoe boxes. None of that. We're, we're too far advanced from shoe boxes and receipts. No, we've moved away from that. There are apps you can use. QuickBooks Desktop, I am. I do like QuickBooks Desktop. But again, there are lots of different programs. Anything's better than no thing. And you can always start once you get started. You can always work with a tax professional or accountant to help you move forward if you have something in place. So um, some people are techie and they can figure out how to set up spreadsheets and Excel and they can make it really work for them well and pivot tables. But I say get started. Um, but in order to get started with an accounting type, a type of accounting software, you got to have a bank account as a business. And with banking, I'll hit this really quickly and then we can go back to questions. Banking as a, as a business owner, you I need to be having a relationship with your bank. It doesn't just need to be transact one way where you just go deposit off, deposit money and you just pull off. No, that you need to understand who is the bank lender in that bank. Who's the lending partner? Because really, you don't bank with the bank. You bank with the bank lender. You bank with the person in the bank. You're banking with people, the relationships. That's why some of the best bank lenders, when they switch banks, their customers switch banks too, because they had a relationship with that lender. That lender understood um, the needs of their business. And so you don't want to have to ever go, let's say you get a big opportunity that comes across your path as a business owner and you need funding to, to um, solidify that opportunity. Let's say you make product. Let's say you make some hair care product and you get a, a big order and you can't fulfill that order because you need the supplies. You want to have a relationship with the banker so that they know who you are about your business, how you've been performing. Sure, you, be ma you may have been making smaller deposits, but you want to have the relationship. So when you go to ask for the loan, you don't want it to be the first time y'all talk, right? Just kind of like in date. You don't want to be the first time you ask for something. You want to make sure that you've established a relationship. They understand who you are. And I know the banking industry can have a lot of turnover, um, but I will tell you, it's a small world in the banking industry as well. And you want to make sure where you're putting your dollars, that they respect your business and they respect you. I, I'm a, I'm just, they respect who you are as a business owner. Let me park it right there. Because they're, you're giving them, when you're depositing money in their bank as a business owner, that you are helping them to be able to make loans. I'm on the a board of directors for a credit union in our city. And we, in order for us to extend more loans, we need more deposits because there's a ratio, a credit union or bank, they have to have a certain ratio of what they can lend out from that standpoint. And it's based upon what comes in. So is it fair for people to use your money to deposit? You don't get interest on it because you're putting in a regular checking account and then they lend to somebody who may not look like you. Now let's help me out on that. <laughs> so um, good banks for small business owners. I say it's a good bank if you have a relationship with them. Um, during the whole PPP fund, we found out that sometimes it was not good or popular to have the large banks because they, the large banks went after taking care of their big customers as opposed to small business owners. So I do believe in having multiple banking relationships 
a larger. So if you if your business is going to go between multiple states or something like that, you want to be able to, you know, not be with a bank that you can't do transactions if you're out of state. But you also want to have a relationship. So I say it's about the relationship. Again, social media, power of connection. Find out who are those bankers that have a heartbeat for the type of business that you're in, the industry, that they're connected to entrepreneurs, they do lending. You want to get, you want to find that out and you want to bank there. Okay. I want to make sure we can get to some of the questions. I want to be respectful of your time. And I actually hit that by accident. So my apologies for that. <laughs> but let's, let's go ahead and move forward. So I'm with Doris. Thank you so much for asking the question. Is CA still waiting the annual $1,000 fee for establishing LLCs? Is it wise to establish one for tax benefits? So here, every state can have different rules or fees when it comes to establishing um when it comes to um, establishing um, an LLC. Some states have annual fees where you have to pay every every um, year. Some states have, you have to make, if you don't make over a certain amount, you have to pay. So you want to find out, this was California. You want to find out, number one, what is your state's rules when it comes to establishing an LLC? Do you have to file an annual report every year? And is there a cost? The reason, like she made mention about the $1,000, and I, I'm, she's aware of that from this standpoint. I'm not, that's not one that I'm off the top of my head. But if it, let's say it is $1,000, if you're going into business and you don't have a plan to make $1,000, then no, you don't need to do that. But if you're going into business, you should have what I call a go, no go. You should have a go, go no go conversation where you map out how much is this business going to perform? How many customers do you want to service in the first month? How much revenue will come in in the first month? What is the expenses connected with that? You want to be serious about doing it. And I know sometimes it can be sound really cool and amazing that I got an LLC, but you're not making any money. If it's costing you money, you're not making any money, then that's not a good money move at all. Um, but if you're going to make money, then, hey, if I'm making $60,000 and it costs me $1,000 to do business, I do that deal in a day. So it needs to make sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Natasha's question is, what amount does the capital gains need to be before we have to file on our taxes? So the gain on um, the gain on the investment um, is based upon if you have a gain of any amount on, on the on if you have a gain of any amount on your investments, then that's something you have to um, report because the the um, provider is going to send you a 1099B statement. They're going to send you an investment statement. And so you want to do that. Now, let's say, for example, you don't have any income. You didn't work at all, but you did investments then if you receive that, then that could qualify you to have to file a tax return. But there's not from that standpoint. So filing the tax return is not necessarily triggered by the investment. Filing a tax filing requirement is triggered based upon your income and the source of that income. And so if you have not had, let's say you didn't have any other income. Well, let's just say you had unemployment tax filing. Even though no other income, you had unemployment and you had investments, then you do have to file. So it's not, I don't want it, the takeaway to be that there's, you have to make a $500 gain to file. No, I've got people that only have $2 gains. They got a they got income from their W-2, from other sources, but their gains weren't that much. You still want to report that so you don't have a miscalculation with the IRS. Phenomenal. Awesome. Okay, so Star would like to know, do I need a separate account for trading stocks? 
Excellent question. Now, technically, legally, you don't need it, but I'm an advocate. And I, you know, again, you're talking to an accountant. I'm an advocate of separating things just so you know what's going on. If you are in the business, let's say there are some people who get involved in stocks and they're day traders. They are serious to the court. They're training. It's in and out. Then it's not a bad idea. But if you're in it and let's say, for example, you have um, you have someone investing for you and you're not doing that much transaction, then you probably don't need it. So it needs to make sense. But for someone who's in the business of doing this and they're trading daily, they're making transactions that I think that's a phenomenal way to have a separate account. But again, I always want to judge it based upon how involved are you, how many transactions, because if there is a cost to that account, then you want to make sure the things that you're doing are going to produce or yield uh, profitability or income to to be able to warrant having that other account. But it's a great, a second account, another account is always a great way to segregate um, transactions and help you to be able to go back and review what's happening from that standpoint. So excellent question. Awesome. Awesome. I do want to circle back to the question that April Lewis asked earlier regarding um, books regarding taxes. I know you mentioned one. Do you have yes. any other recommendations? Yes. And so now I will be very honest. I tend to look at the IRS website and read the, the procedures. So I know everyone doesn't do that. But here's another good one that I like. Um, I, this is one I got on my reading radar for after tax season. It's called The Power of Zero. Um, and it's on Amazon. It's by David McKnight. Um, I'm Someone gifted me that book. And so I plan to read that from that standpoint. And then there's um, Small Business Taxes for Dummies. I don't, I like some of those, those, those books because of the fact it just breaks it down to this narrative. Now, for me being a tax professional, I still will go read because I want to understand what consumers in my industry, what they're getting, the information they're getting, because it helps me because someone's going to always say, someone told me, I heard. So I read some of these because I want to stay um, up to speed. There's another good book that um, I finished last, a couple months ago, um, The Home-Based Business Guide to Writing Off Almost Anything um, by Doug Colin. Um, and so there are lots of great books um, that are out there from that standpoint. But I, here's the thing I'll say. When it comes to all these deductions, the deductions are only good if you got income. So I find a lot of people, I've had people say, I'm like, should I buy a car in my business name? And I'm like, how much money did you make? Oh, I haven't made any money yet. No, you shouldn't buy a car because you just, you didn't even have business income to begin with. Thank you so much for putting those in there. You didn't have business income to begin with. So buying a car, you don't have anything to deduct from anything, you know, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. So you, you, it's got to make sense on some of these things. So looking for deductions when there's no income, that can be questionable from that standpoint. So on the flip side, it may be the book that you need to read is about producing income, having a profitable business. One of my favorite um, books is by is E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerbert. It talks about, this is like a staple book of mine. It talks about um, how you really zone in to not just be like run a business, not to just start a business that you're doing, but how to think thoroughly so that you're you're starting an entity. It doesn't have to, he, now I don't agree with this part. He says you don't have to be even passionate about what you do. I do believe passion needs to be connected and the purpose needs to be connected. But the goal of it is he wants you to understand how to run a profitable business by looking at the things that are necessary and not being too attached. That is an excellent book for people who are trying to figure out how to make profit, how to move forward. Um, now, another one, that is a go to think and grow rich, period, hands down, staple item. Um, there's some great, um, Ann McNeil 
Um, she um, is a fellow speaker. Her and I are in National Speakers Association again, uh, National Speakers Association uh, together. And she does a um, every Saturday a podcast on YouTube, Facebook about Thinking Girl Rich, a mastermind. And it's phenomenal. And so mm-hmm. if there was like though that book, yes, uh, I, are you right with you? So that that Thinking Girl Rich book can really help to transform your thought pattern about money. I heard that conversation yesterday about, you know, studying money and understanding it, but it can help you to understand about specialized knowledge. You know, how do you, you know, how do, when you understand the value you have, that it becomes very easy to ask for yourself to, to ask for payment because you understand the value you bring to something. So oftentimes I hear business owners, they're excited to start and they got the LLC and they got the business cards and the website. And I'm like, how much have you made? Oh, I haven't made anything. You're not, you're in business to make money. So even non-for-profits have to have yield profit. Non-for-profits need income to be sustainable. So profitability is key. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Mark Quinette would like to ask, do you work with clients out of state? I do. You know, what's so funny is during the pandemic, um, we were already working. We already had clients that I had never met face to face for I was doing their taxes because we have upload features and email features. And so you just didn't have to be right there face to face. And actually, we found works a lot better because now when I have to ask you to go search for something, you don't have to leave the office and go do that. So we have that has even increased. We were doing that before the pandemic. It's even increased more. Um, yesterday I was working on returns. And I was like, man, every one of these returns were from Florida or Texas um, when I was working on them last night. And so we absolutely do. Um, we love working with um, business owners, small business owners, aspiring business owners, or even individuals that may have tax problems. And they're like, I need to get this moving forward. No more delay, no more procrastination. I need someone to help me move from where I'm at to where I need to be. And even if that's a business owner that's saying, you know, it's time for me to get serious about this business. I need to move it along so it can be profitable. Absolutely. We would love to um, connect um, with those individuals. Awesome. Awesome. So this is a great question coming up with Tierra Miller. She wants to know, how can we get connected with you? I'm sure there's so many ladies who are like, yo, I need to, I need to talk to you. And I'm one of them. Like, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> so, I can put um, on Five Star Tax and Business Solutions. And I will put really quickly the website on there. And then the um, office phone number, my office manager is going to kill me, but that's okay. I'm on there. And say hello, Sora Tierra, one of my Soras. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So people can reach you on your website and there's your phone website, number right there. Um, the website connector by calling. I am active on Facebook. Um, I, I, Instagram is not where I play. You know, if people tend to have a strong social media, one that they go with stronger than others. So I play a little strong on Facebook than Instagram. I got to remember to go back out there and check messages. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, today has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for helping us understand more about taxes, understand and about more about these things that have arisen since the pandemic and just helping us to really be proactive and taking the next step. So thank you. I cannot say thank you enough for being here. 
thank you for the opportunity. And I'm just kudos to you for jumping out here and doing this. It was great when you and I had the opportunity to talk and uh, you took a bold step. And it's going to help so many people because the content is relevant. And this is the thing that helps us to move forward, to take a stab at, at, at abundance and move forward are these conversations. So kudos to you and your team. I know you guys are working extremely hard behind the scenes, putting this all together. So awesome job. And thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Thank you. All thank right, you. Thank you. you. Right, awesome. Awesome. Well, ladies, what an amazing conversation. Um, learned so much during this entire hour, and I'm sure you did as well. So thank you so much for joining us. So moving forward for the re remainder of the day, um, we do have a event at 6 p.m., and that will actually be yours truly. I'm going to be doing an options trading pop-up. So it's a quick 30-minute session um, for those who are interested in learning more about options. I know I do a lot of education, especially for those who are brand new to the stock market, but I want to make sure that I cater to and care for the ladies who are more advanced as well. So if you are interested in options trading, please join us here at 6 p.m. I will be doing a quick 30-minute pop-up, um, and then I'll do another one, a part two to that on Thursday. After that, so we have Mr. Leif Taylor coming to talk with us about crypto and NFTs. It's going to be an amazing session. Um, I did a quick podcast with him before and I learned so much in that process. So I can guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in this conversation. So please join us back tonight. Also, again, as always, please support our wonderful vendors. We have wonderful women who are here sharing their products and services. So please check them out in the expo area. And then also we have have a networking area as well within Hop In. So if you want to meet some other ladies in Divine Nine, and then those who are here to support us as well, please feel free to use that area too. All right, ladies, we'll have a wonderful, wonderful time. Okay, so Natalie's asking, is it Central or Eastern? Okay, so the options, all everything that's on the schedule is um, Eastern time. So if you want to have access to the schedule, you can find that here in Hop In, or feel free to go to our website where you registered our welcome welcomeweek.com, and then you can um, take a look at the schedule there as well. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, ladies, have a wonderful afternoon, and I look forward to seeing many of you at 6 and uh, more of you coming back at 7.30 p.m. All right. See you soon.